Welcome to Ask Cadence, everybody. My name is Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading Sitting Around the Round Table once again with Rod Sharman. Rod? Good morning, Pete. Welcome. And Jay Christensen. Hi, Pete. How to do? Mm, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're talking about an excellent rigatoni. <laughs> uh, we are, are, are sitting, uh, we, we have gathered here today to take to uh, uh, part, what part is this? Part six of our 19 techniques for managing people who do not report to you. Uh, we're talking about difficult people this week. And, uh, oh, you mean, you mean Jay? Well, I was just going to say, I, you know, we talk about difficult people. Uh, invariably, we talk about difficult people as the other people. But I, I think we need to call a spade a spade and say at some point or another, we've all been a difficult person, right? Oh, absolutely. One of the things that uh, um, we're talking about here is often perceptions. Perceptions of how people are seen by their behavior. Um, we talk about type 1 people, obviously. Type 1s are the people that are ideal, that we want on our team, very willing, helpful, etc. Um, and they're the easy people. But I, I've taken a philosophy that, uh, all my life that basically said everybody is a type 1 person until they prove, me, prove themselves different. So if you start off with that approach, um, I, I think you're in, in, in a much better uh, position uh, uh, than taking the other approach, which would be treat everybody as being uh, uh, um, like they're negative. against you. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you start off with, with that, that as a starting point. Um, one of the things you've really got to do with with difficult people is is look beyond the persona and their behavior. You've really got to depersonalize these things. You know, you may wish you didn't have the person on the team and maybe your first instinct is to try and get manage them and to remove them and give you somebody else. I think the starting point is to recognize that's not going to happen. And more importantly is what is the value they're being, bringing to the project and really focus on that. Again, as we were talking about last week, the key thing is is to depersonalize any form of conversation and talk about the impacts of those people on and their, what they've been doing and that's causing problems uh, in terms of the impacts to cost schedule and performance. I really find that's a key one. But sometimes it uh, doesn't matter. You, maybe you've got a personality conflict with the individual. It doesn't mean that both of you are wrong or you're, you're both bad people. There's just a breakdown in, in the communication. But you've got to get the project done. So looking for other people to help you with that is often the starting point. A logical one is the functional manager of that individual. But maybe it's somebody else uh, that the individual respects, being around, uh, listens to more carefully, and try to get them engaged in helping you overcome the problem you're having with the individual. The other thing that, that I have found is that uh, sometimes people are difficult in specific situations. They may be difficult in front of the rest of the team simply because they're trying to establish, for example, uh, maybe a power play is another way of saying it, um, that they're pushing up against you. Um, then you find that in a one-on-one -on -one situation, uh, they're totally different. In fact, they may be quite the opposite. But what you've in, in both these cases, um, you can't let your own emotions get in the way of your communication. Depersonalizing it is always the key one for me. 
I think you made a point I, I just want to echo that I think was, it hit me as a bit of an aha, is to remember to go back and look at how be, when you're depersonalizing these sorts of, of, of uh, communications troubles, to look at how behavior impacts the project. Yes. Not how it impacts you or your relationship, but how it impacts the project. Right. And uh, I'd like to uh, say another word about uh, this person that uh, is a third party in this dealing with a difficult person. Sometimes as an individual on the team becomes so entrenched, they become so fixated on their position that they are reluctant to consider another view. And if we, a project manager can get to a third person and get this person to understand the problem, then the type three, the project manager, and the third party can all meet. And this third party uh, person's opinion can help soften and give the type three person that you're having difficulty with to consider a different viewpoint, to consider another approach, to consider more information. So it begins to soften them, uh, gets them into a, a more receptive frame of mind where they can now um, be a part of the solution rather than uh, a part of uh, the problem that we're dealing with. So, uh, uh, and Rod said uh, correctly that people object for a huge number of reasons. And it may be that it is a social issue that they are trying to correct or fix. And if we can get them in a private environment, then we can look for an alternative approach that still may enables them to um, uh, accomplish what they need to with uh, the social situation, but also get the project moving again. Often taking a step back and watching um, the communication and interaction between team members, sometimes you will discover that what appears to be a uh, person you can't quite, is a problem person, you can't quite figure out why, it may be, just maybe that there is a problem between that person and another person on the team, another team member. And again, it's only by stepping back you will see that. And if you depersonalize it, it becomes clearer. If you start thinking in the personal view, what am I doing? Why am I not uh, uh, doing what I should be? Why am I causing this problem? Uh, stop being defensive and try to get to the root, to root cause, then you're more likely to be successful. How do, you, uh, how do you coach project managers and teams to mediate this sort of social issue? Uh, and, and particularly in the context of, of global virtual teams. I mean, how do, you, how do you create the kind of atmosphere as a project manager that you can get everybody working together and feel comfortable with one another uh, in light of so many competing, uh, competing signals? Well, you've, you've got to balance out a couple of things. First of all, don't assume that everybody's going to enjoy beer and pizza. That's a, that's a dangerous assumption. I've never met any of them, but I'm sure they're out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, one of the ways to, to overcome these kind of things is to try and socialize with people. Um, when you're working on a project, it's intense. It's full of problems. Uh, there's high expectations, there's a lot of money being invested, pressure, pressure, pressure. So you've got to have some kind of outlet. Um, and what you've got to figure out is what is the right outlet? Beer and pizza? Or is it uh, go and play around a round of golf? Or do nothing? 
if, if what you, and one of the ways to overcome that, in my view, is to move that as a question of the team and do that early on in the project. Not when there's a problem and the intensity is there, but right up at the beginning of the project. Guys, how are we going to sort of uh, um, take the air out of the sails periodically through, through this project? What's your ideas? What would you like to do? And try and get a consensus. And then you may come to a consensus that the majority want to do X, Y, Z. But don't make it a mandate that everybody participate. You're going to have people who don't wish to participate. Does that make them wrong? My view is no. Why should it make them wrong? Um, if they choose not to, uh, they'll probably be perfectly happy doing their own thing on that particular evening, as opposed to you're probably going to have an upset individual who feels they've been forced they've been to drug along to yeah, beer exactly. and pizza. Yeah. So you really got to um, play the game very carefully. But downtime is important. And I, I think uh, that honest discussion at the beginning of the project, how, when are we going to take a time out from the project? How are we going to do that? Do you want to do that? How do you feel about it? I think it's, it's uh, important. And then constantly touch base with the team on their feelings as, as you move along. Again, not all those discussions have to be as a team within the team meeting. One-on-one -on -one casual conversation is good. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a dangerous statement, but uh, I feel fairly strongly about that, and that is, is that sometimes a project manager finds themselves in a situation where two people don't get along, and this battle has been brewing and has been active for years. And uh, my advice is to the project manager, in most cases, you probably won't get this exact problem solved between these two individuals. It's just been around too long. And a uh, project manager can get too deeply embroiled in trying to solve this impossible impasse between the two. So, again, what is the impact that their behavior is having on the project? How is it that we are not getting work done? How is it that we're not producing task results that we need? How is it that we're not accomplishing the deliverables or measures that are required? So coming back to the project. Then, ask people if they could temporarily set their problems aside. Not forever, but at least long enough to get the work done that we need on the project. Sometimes that works. If they'll suspend their difficulty, sometimes it even gets them thinking differently about each other, and that sometimes can begin them to begin to melt and begin to uh, interact more effectively. And then there's the ICOCA third question. What's mm -hmm. in your way of supporting the project? You may already know that, but if you can uh, ask them in a way that is really helping them see what it is that the pro uh, how their behavior is impacting the project, then we can begin to problem solve on something that's fact-based rather than emotion-based. And at least illustrates if it's a person in the way, you can go back and ask for this project detente, but otherwise it will uncover the, the, uh, the trouble you're having in the project. Mm -hmm. Quite often, the, the problems you're having between people or you are having with a person is to do with your style of communication. And one of the things to always remember is that uh, when you are communicating to a person, 
that person's brain is effectively moving into the learning mode. Mm -hmm. And we have three preferred learning mode styles. It's either visual by reading and seeing, uh, it's auditory by um, uh, discussion and asking questions, and then this kinesthetic learning, which is the hands-on learning technique. Now, one of the things that we will have a tendency to do is when we communicate to somebody, we will communicate with our own preferred learning style. For example, I'm going to make an assumption, which I think is probably true, that my good friend Jay here is a visual learner, whereas right. I'm an auditory learner. That's my preferred way of learning. So when I'm communicating with Jay, my tendency will be to communicate with him in my preferred learning style. So I'm gonna to want to talk to Jay and discuss it and go on and on and on verbally with Jay. However, Jay's preferred learning style is probably to have said to me, why don't you be quiet, Rod, and give it to me, let me read it, and then we can talk about it later. Right. Now, during that time of me constantly talking to him, all he's doing is becoming very frustrated. True? Right. Exactly. In fact, I've proven this on several occasions in seminar. <laughs> uh, 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 I've proven this with you, Rod, in the past. This is uncanny that you'd bring that up. Right. Um, but I have asked in the seminar for people to, if they would, share if they're auditories. And uh, there is usually a person that says, yeah, I'm an auditory. So then I took uh, some big, thick reading document and kind of fake it a little bit and asked them to read it. And uh, then I test later and say, how did you feel about that? And in one case, an individual took this document from my hand and threw it on the floor. <laughs> he said, I do not want to read it. I won't read it. T tell me about it. So it's a really effective way to, to uh, figure out what a person's style is and then use that style. And it's a good, good thing if you're genuinely with, with the team. And I, I often in seminars uh, make this as a suggestion. If you're not sure about the preferred learning styles of your team members, have that as a conversation. It's a good icebreaker, it's a bit of fun, very easy to describe. And then try to have your team meetings that utilize all three techniques of uh, communication or always remember when you're talking to somebody, if they're strongly visual and you're auditory or vice versa, adjust to their learning style. Use the project manager, the one who needs to uh, adjust adapt. your style and adapt to them. Uh, it, it's important not to neglect the, uh, I think, the fourth very important uh, learning style, the culinary learner. You can learn anything as long as it's over food. Yeah, uh, they're, that's, they're, that's very true. That. That's, one of, that's, that's true. one of my, that's thank you for this, uh, this discussion, this illuminating uh, discussion, uh, gents. As always, uh, I think we have one more uh, session next week that we are going to uh, wrap up our 19 techniques for managing people. Until then, on behalf of Rod Sharman and Jay Christensen, I'm Pete Wright. This has been Ask Cadence.